0: James, sort of a little tentative about getting in the book of James, to be honest with you. Um, In my previous ministry, I tried to get all the way through this book twice, and I never made it. So maybe we're going to make it this time, so that'd be great. Um, The tentative part is, this book is about bearing up under trials. So do you think God might have trials for us as we go through this book? I promise you he will. He's already given us prom, uh, some problems, trials, difficulties, um, but now we'll get to take the Word of God very specifically to those trials, and that's what we should look forward to here. Let's uh, begin this study, and I've got to turn my, my clicker on too. Let's begin this study with a word of prayer, asking God for His Word and His wisdom to penetrate our minds and hearts this morning, we pray. Our Father, we are so grateful this morning to be gathered together in your name, to be in a place where uh, we are at relative peace um, in this congregation. We did not come under threat of uh, incarceration or bodily harm. We still have some freedoms here to speak boldly your word without... Um, There being a great persecution, but Lord, that is not the case in other parts of the world this morning. We do think of our brothers and sisters around the world that are very much living out the experience of this audience of the book of James, that they are being pursued, they are having their property confiscated, they are being physically harmed and tortured, they are being martyred. For their faith in you, and so help us, Father, to re- to remember them: those that are in prisons, those that have lost family members, those that are experiencing the physical um, pain and torture because they there speak your name or hold to an unshakable belief in their Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to enter into. The experience of these people as we study this book, to understand its lessons, to apply them to where we live today, because undoubtedly there will be various trials. It's all represented already in this room, some known and some not. And so we ask your spirit to encourage us, to fill us with hope, to fill us with joy as remarkable and and unseemly as that, that, that might be to think that Trials, hardships can be joyful things, and we pray for you, for you to give us the mind of Christ in these things. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Book of James is fascinating a book. Um, in a nutshell, James is an intensely practical manu- manual on the outworking of true faith in everyday life. It explores Christian conduct from. ...several perspectives and shifts abruptly from topic to topic. Faith perseveres under trials. It resists temptation. It responds to the Word. It overcomes prejudice. It produces good works. It controls the tongue. It manifests wisdom. It submits to God rather than worldly pleasures. And it depends on God rather than wealth and waits patiently for the return of the Lord. Biblical faith moves from assent to actions, from words to words. Taken from Talk Through the New Testament by Ken Boa. Our author here is James, not James the brother of John, but James the brother, the half brother of Jesus, born to Mary and Joseph. And I got some corrections already. That should be Matthew three fifty-five and Mark six three. Uh, tired typing there, I suppose. Um, these were not these brothers were not believers from the gospel record during Jesus' ministry, at least not early on, very late. Probably even some of them, and may, maybe even James, did not believe until Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection. And finally, what else could he say? <laughs> I mean, you know, he always wondered if Jesus was just a goody two-shoes and just, you know, never got in trouble for whatever reason, but uh, maybe may a little jealous of that. Probably the second child of Mary, and therefore Jesus' closest sibling. And if you look at those passages in Matthew, Mark, you see that Mary and Joseph had at least um, seven kids and uh, uh fellow big family um, tribe. Jesus did appear to his brother after his resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15:7 tells us. Um <clears throat> He uh, was part of the 120 people that waited for the Holy Spirit um, to arrive at Pentecost in the upper room. And he became a prominent leader of the church in Jerusalem. Repeated sightings there. He was known as Camel Knees for the calluses that he developed from his devotion to prayer and died a martyr's death shortly before the fall of Jerusalem sometime in the early to middle 60s A.D. Um, The audience, um, before we get into this, let's uh, turn to Acts chapter 2, and let's just do a little travelogue through Acts to help us understand this audience and understand kind of the distinction of how they started and then where they ended up by the time we get to Acts chapter 8. Turn to Acts chapter 2, you know, the the preaching of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were saved there. And verse 43 says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Turn over the page to chapter 4. Peter and John are preaching. They get hauled in for their preaching and the outcome of that examination um, verse 19 of chapter 4 Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And um, they were released, continued to go on preaching, go down to um, verse 32. <clears throat> After uh, they came out and there was prayer going on, the place was shaken. Verse 32, the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. But all things were a common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them. For there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sails and lay them at the apostles feet and they would be be distributed to each as any had need great generosity great uh collegiality great unity great love and apparently a a favor with the people not any great pushback at this point chapter five after ananias and his wife sapphire were judged and it says in verse 12 um, After they had passed, and it says at the hands of the apostles, verse 12, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico, but none of the rest, that is now the outsiders, dared to associate them however the people, that is the people outside the congregation, held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when peter came by at least his shadow might fall upon them and they go on about how demons are cast out and their healing taking place in chapter six turn over there and uh we see that they had to solve a problem because there were there were some people missing out on some of the uh, some of the the benefits and the and, and the daily needs being met, especially some widows, and um, and just see that that heart of of compassion, as we'll see later in James, where it says, "Pure and undefiled religion is to take care of widows and orphans," and they were manifesting this fruit, and so the apostles pulled aside some men and appointed them to be deacons that could look over that need in verse 7 we see another summary statement the word of god kept kept on spreading the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in jerusalem and a great many priests were becoming obedient to the faith you see just this powerful manifestation of the spirit of god just people coming 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 and that's kind of like almost the same experience that happened for israel and egypt people started to say, wait a minute, there are too many of those people, and there's less of us. And there started to be concerns and worries. And then one of these deacons, Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. And then he wasn't just doing that. If we turn over uh, to chapter 7, we find... Uh, in end of chapter 6 and chapter 7, wow, he had some boldness, and he started to take people on, and he started to challenge the rulers of the Jews who had put the Lord Jesus to death, and when we get to the end of his message, we see that these people Verse 57 in chapter 7, They cried out with a loud voice. They covered their ears. They rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside the robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. The first martyr of the church. Now notice, chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul was, w- was in hearty agreement in, with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. And Saul began ravaging the church, entering house to house, and dragging off men and women. And he would put them in prison. And notice the outcome. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. This is the audience of James. These are the people that got displaced. And if you can imagine what it will be like to be run out of your home, to be chased to the border of your country, to have only been able to take what was you could carry in your hands. To have been displaced from your inheritance, your land, your property, your livelihood, to be at risk of being put in, in prison if you were captured. This is the audience of the book of James. They are Jewish Christians who is, were scattered after this persecution. They were driven out with zealous spirits as they shared the gospel, as they left home, property, and kin some of these people went beyond judea and samaria because they, they, those were not too far a place to be chased to and then they moved into areas further afar they had the familiarity of synagogue and other jews converted and non-converted but they had to <coughs> reestablish their homes their work their circle of friendships they became dependent on other people's generosity They had to reestablish their trade and hope to be able to make a way for themselves and their families. A witness of the book of James is is that he knew his audience, was respected by them, and could command them to obey the truth. You see, several places as you go through the book, there are direct commandments, even from a distance. James is saying, this is how I expect you to respond. This is what the Word of God is to you. Heed it. By character, these were not people dealing with overt worldly sin. As persecution has a way of purifying, it purifies a lot at the outer levels. But then there are the inner levels, the, the fears, the worry, the concern, the things like we find in the book, like impatience and bitterness and materialism and disunity and spiritual apathy. You can almost... Kind of play this out of your mind. Look, things were going so well. And then Stephen kind of got out of line. And he was an apostle. And he just stirred this problem up for us. If he just could have been more gentle in his speech. Can you hear anybody maybe say that? That's a little timid. I mean, things were, were fine. Why couldn't we just have the apostles handle this? And you read that message. And boy, he was... Not holding back. (laughs) He was definitely not holding back. And it did stir things. It did cut those people to the quick. They were the murderers of the Lord Jesus. The character of the book, James, is called the Proverbs of the New Testament. James was obviously influenced by the Proverbs of the Old Testament, the exhortative Psalms, and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount a little bit um, in previous series and a little bit during the discipleship series. Uh, you'll find that there's some very tight um, correlation between that. And um, <clears throat> as I've said in the past, I think the Sermon on the Mount was like one of that handed down tradition, some of that handed down truth that the early church went over and over again. There's so many things that give us direction from that message about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom as we just finished a series of Kingdoms in Conflict. And definitely those teachings there put us in conflict with the Word. The book also references, or only references, the person of Jesus on a uh, a couple occasions. And... um, and does not develop any deep or new theological ground. Um, <clears throat> additionally, that and the fact that James introduces the idea that faith must have works and seems to be an apparent contradiction to Paul's teaching on justification, which hadn't been taught yet, by the way. This is one of the earliest epistles that we have in the New Testament. But obviously we're looking at it down the road, and so was Martin Luther. Um, Martin Luther declared the book to be a right, strawy epistle. He did not even believe the book to be inspired. Um, but <clears throat> if we'll use his terms, that in fact, that, um, oh, I went backwards. It might be strawy in the sense that it is uncomfortable to sit on for very long because it pricks the conscience and the backside at the same time, spurring us to act on our faith. That is the book of James. It's not, it's, it's not easy to just like push your way through it without there being some directive that is very relevant. So, as we get into that <clears throat> a little bit, I hope you can see that. I don't know if you can. It was the best I could do. I couldn't get it to turn to white. <clears throat> but you have it in your notes. So... Um, I developed this some some years ago when I pr- preached this before, and I think this helps us to understand a little bit about, we talk about early childhood development, adolescence. The Scripture kind of talks about those things, same things. First John talks about being an infant or being a young man or woman or being an older person. <clears throat> and I think what we need to see is that there is... There is a work of God that works with us in development. It works with us over time. And and what I have here is the cross would be kind of your point of conversion. That's the point of commitment, where you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes you a child of God. There's no additional work right, right there. The only work is the work of belief, to put your trust fully in Jesus Christ. After that, the Spirit of God comes to indwell us, and we work cooperatively with that Spirit to, to be more and more transformed into the image of Christ. And that is a process. And it starts, and, and some, sometimes the persecution that we have in the book of Acts, where, why do people have to sell their things? Well, some people, when they went into the waters of baptism, they came out and they said, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. That was enough for their Jewish family members to say, you're dead to me. I'm taking your inheritance away. All that you've worked for over these years, you're 40 years old and it should be yours, but you're dead to me. I'm taking your inheritance. I'm giving it to your brother. So instantly people, a lot of times, were put in hard places just by naming the name of Christ through the confessional waters of baptism. And then we have this idea where we talk about consecration or discipleship, and we are in a discipleship series. That is, there is this this commitment after baptism where we say, I want to give my life fully to follow Christ. That's where Paul says, you're not your own, to the Corinthians. You've been bought with a a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. It's the idea of Romans chapter 12. Don't any longer be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. And where we kind of like have an orientation to be in process with with God and His maturing work in our life. And we say, Lord, I'm ready to go through whatever you're going to call me to go through. That's scary, isn't it? (laughs) <laughs> that is scary. But it's where, we, it's where we can make the most progress in becoming more like Christ. And <clears throat> that leads inevitably to this next area, which is character development. And character cannot be developed. I don't like it. You might not like it. A matter of fact, there's times I really don't like it. But character cannot be developed apart from trials. It's God's pl- It's God's program. It's his wisdom, it's his way. And I have the two arrows there because you're going to have trials that come from two places. You're going to have trials that come through your association with unbelievers. Because Paul said, we're not supposed to go out of the world. We're in the world. We're not supposed to be part of it, but we're in the world. And when you're in the world, you will have trials from unbelievers. Also, and James speaks to that to some degree, but also in the body believers in the family of brothers and sisters there's pressures there's various trials that happen between us and those are also meant to grow us up and those are painful too broken fellowship loss of friendships misunderstandings jealousies things that James is talking about as we go through these chapters feeling disregarded or Being societally separated because of wealth or lack of. Feeling, you know, kind of bit out of place because you're not part of this group that you're now thrust into. And on top of that, you have to be dependent on these people for a while. All those create tensions and pressures. I can tell you that um, there's been times we've had taking people in our home and and we had the best of intentions and it created some tension and (laughs) misunderstanding and hurt feelings feeling taken advantage of and those are real things and those are trials you see the goal is that we might be made into the image of christ that our faith might be completed not completed like it's done well, it is done when He takes us, takes us away or He calls us home in death. But there's a sense in which we can be completed in different areas of our life where we become mature men and women of God. Where we have the right perspective on what God's doing and we don't like question Him and we, don't, we just realize that this is from the hand of an all-wise God. That's a hard place to get to. I'm not, I'm not any different than you. That is a hard place, and it calls us to walk in faith and in belief that that's what God is trying to do in our lives. So we go to the book of James, and we see these key verses. I think they're the key verses. I think they kind of set it to state. I mean, as we said, James isn't um, nothing against him. Everybody's got different gifts. I mean, he definitely did not write the book of Hebrews. He wrote the book God called him to write, and he's a rubber meets the road kind of guy. He's not about, like, you know, theology 401. He's 101. He wants us to get our faith into shoe leather. And We see James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Didn't even say his brother. (laughs) And Notice that? What humility. To the 12 tribes who are dispersed or scattered abroad. Greetings. Consider it all joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. The first word of that verse, consider it all joy, is a command. Basically, the word means that we are to have a perspective or an opinion or come to an understanding that when we face trials of various kinds, it should be a joyful understanding in our heart. doesn't mean the incident itself is joyful but that we step outside the incident and we look and we say, this is for joy's sake. Now, I'm going to give an illustration. I hope this will kind of play it out. I coached varsity soccer for several years. And along the way, you, and this is what the word testing means. It means to put something under examination to find out of what kind of character it is. You know, where um, Consumer Reports takes something and they open and close it 10,000 times to see is that hinge really good or not, or what do they do, whether car doors and this and that. That's the same idea, is that God is putting us under some kinds of pressures and difficulties to, to bring to the surface what's really there. So, fall soccer started in the summer, in August, in the blazing hot heat, and we would practice in the... Middle afternoon, 3 o'clock to 5, and I would put these players under duress. I would run them. I would work them hard. I'd have them do exercises and speed and agility drills and, you know, build up their legs and their, their tendons by doing piggyback sprints with somebody on their back. And, and you know what? When you're the coach, the kids don't understand And they really don't like you much during that time they really don't and yet the other thing I'm looking for is I want to see to come to the surface the people who the kids who really want to win because the people that really want to win they'll joyfully accept the process because they have a bigger vision of where it's going and they know that in two months when it's not hot anymore and now it's really cold and maybe it's raining and it's miserable and you're in a championship game, you will look back on those August training sessions and you'll say, Coach, thanks for doing that. And that, I had the joy of seeing that happen. That our kids submitted to the process because they started to buy into where it was all going. And that's the picture of these verses. Consider this joy, not because this is enjoyable right now. It's not. But this bigger goal, this outcome is going to be joy. And you can experience that joy right now. It's it's the kids that came to the practice and said, Coach, how many miles are we running today? I ran over the weekend. Awesome. <laughs> That's joy to the coach, because you see somebody buying into the process. You know, they're, they're, and there's things that you try to explain to them. I know when I started doing some speed and agility drills, and Charity was on my team, so she's laughing right now. She doesn't even want to say. When I started doing these things, and I got trained to, to, to be an instructor in that, and we started doing skipping drills and lateral drills and, crossovers and you know cutting back and forth through pylons and learning how to plan on an outside foot and all those kind of things. And I remember one of our girls was injured and the rest of the girls were doing these drills and she sat over there and chuckled and chuckled. You guys look so silly, you know? But I knew I wanted them to buy into that because I knew the statistics on ACLs. And ankle injuries and I knew the statistics for girls having those injuries are even higher than guys and by God's grace thankfully I never had any knee injuries on my teams I couldn't explain all that to the girls I just had to get them to buy in to do it but the outcome came for them that's what this process James consider all joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face various trials are trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance the word endurance is a, a neat Greek word it's hupo mone hupo under mone remain under something remain under something when God gives a trial he basically is laying it on us he's either sending it directly or he's allowing it to happen in the course of just everyday life and experience, but he has a purpose behind it. And the idea here is that we, we need to not be quick to escape and run away. It, it's kind of always sad, but with, that, with any team, you always have the, have the tryouts, you bring a kid on, you give them you know, the benefit of the doubt, and after a week they just say, not for me, not for me, coach, I'm not coming back. <laughs> And sometimes we do that with trials, don't we? God, I don't like this, so I'm going to get out from under this. I'm going to go somewhere else. You know, I I was uh, 18 years old. I knew the Lord was calling me to ministry, and I did not want to remain under that burden. And so for two years, I just ran my own way. We do that. And then we miss out on the endurance being produced. In the questions I, I gave you for discussion for uh, this week, I asked the question: um, You know, did you ever find that God keeps bringing you back to the same trial? Like, like sometimes you're like in a revolving door. I'm having that same experience again. <laughs> Maybe it's because we kept trying to get out from under it. Notice <clears throat> verse four: Let endurance have its perfect result. That you may be perfect, not sinless, but mature. That's what the word means. You're completed, you're mature, complete, lacking in nothing. You see, that's where the the big mindset as we come into this book is to realize that that God has a custom, I I think they call it in um, the school system, an individualized learning plan or something like that or education plan, EIP, I think is what they call it, individual education plan. And there's one for you and you and you and you and me, and it's not going to be the same. It's not going to be on the same timetable. It's not going to be the same kind of circumstances. But God cares enough about you to know what you need and when you need it. Turn over to... um, as we'll close here, turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is uh, part of the, the study notes I gave you. I want you to see this. Um, I'm just going to go right to this uh, verse. It's talking about Israel and their experience in the wilderness and what God was doing to test them, to prepare them to, to be... Uh, To be a nation you know they were slaves how do you move people from being slaves and dependent and constrained to being people who are free and responsible and have the whole responsibility of being a nation now and governing themselves how do you move people from that to that well that was the wilderness that was god's plan and it could have been shorter but they kept not wanting to learn the lesson and verse 11 says, Now these things happened, all you, you can read before, to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able but will with the temptation provide the way of escape that you may may be able to endure it. Now, there's some very similar words to what we have in James 1 to this verse. The word temptation is actually the same word translated trial in James, exact same word. And the word endure is the exact same word, hubomone in James. So let's read the verse differently. And change the words out. No trial has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tried beyond what you are able, but will with that trial provide the way of escape that you may be able to build endurance. That's the hope in this process. That we, when I said, "Yeah, there's a little trepidation going to Book of James." Yes, there is. Nobody wants to look forward to having hard hard things happen. But this is telling us there's the hopeful side. God knows what you can take and how long you can take it. And He's customized the trial. They're not random things. He's customized the trial for this place, in this period of time, for this duration, for this goal. And we have to trust Him for that. We have to trust Him for that. And we'll get into that next week as we pursue chapter one more and we look at the fact that sometimes we're tempted to think bad things about God just like my players were thinking bad things about their coach. Because sometimes we get myopic and we don't see where it's all going. But this is a call to faith. Look, um, there's there's an outline there provided. It's uh, from... A book called "Talk Through the New Testament" by Ken Boa. I really recommend it. It's an excellent, excellent resource. In a few, a few pages, you can get a a, a big picture snapshot of any book in the New Testament. I think it's now a, com, a compiled. It's the Old and New Testament together. I think we were having a teaching team meeting. Uh, Julian like got on Amazon and ordered it right up for like seven dollars. So. I really highly recommend it. But you'll see it's broken down, maybe a little bit different than how we'll do this study. But tremendous little snapshot of information to help you get a big picture view of the book of James. And um, please, I provided the uh, the study questions. There are six of them, and there's are six days between now and next Sunday. Some of those questions are kind of for review and application, what we talked about here in this passage. Some of them kind of prepare us to look forward to what we're going to look at next week in verses uh, well, we'll re- review this, but go down to verse uh, eighteen, I believe. So thanks for your kind attention. I didn't see anybody sleeping, so I guess I did all right. Let's pray together. Our father, we we pray that you would begin to shape our minds and hearts to be pliable, to be responsive. To be aware, to um, to have spiritual eyes, to see you at work in our lives, because you have a, a myriad of various kinds of trials. Some of them are just irritations and and annoyances, and they're uh, the frustrations of day-to-day life, whether with family or work or school or physical um, difficulty, and then. Lord, they range all the way up to those things that are heavy, heavy burdens. And, um, and yet, we need to be the place where we can give thanks in all things, that we can give you thanks for that, and that we can step back and see that you are a good God. You don't want to leave us where, where we are. You want us to press forward. You want us to, to, to build the muscles of faith and endurance. And you want us to do great things for your kingdom, but we can't do them if we can't get built up to do them. And so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to be um, good, um, uh, good teammates with you, as it were. And we trust you to coach us through the process. We pray in Christ's name.